everyone. Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. It is Thanksgiving week here in the United States. So if you're celebrating, I hope you're doing so safely. It sounds so weird. Like, have a great Thanksgiving, but don't do anything. So it's a very awkward time, and this whole year has been very, very strange. There's also three Thanksgiving football games, and for that, we'll go to our head odds maker at Bavada Sportsbook, Patrick Morrow. We'll talk to him in just a moment. You know, sometimes this podcast can be self-serving. I mean, heck, I titled it Sports with Friends. And literally, all I want to do is talk to friends. Now, sometimes those are sports people, and sometimes we, we, we cover very serious issues, and sometimes we don't. And this might be the most self-serving podcast, and I don't really care. Tom Lee was my program director at KJR Radio in Seattle. Get this, from 1998 to 2001. And then he left. And he ditched us in Seattle. He went to Los Angeles. He broke my heart. And he actually led to my departure from Seattle because I moved to New York. And there are so many twists and turns on how that story unwinds that we had to do a podcast with Tom Lee. And thanks to social media, the outdated phone numbers, and I will say that I had a 215 (laughs) cell phone number for this guy. But thanks to social media, I found him. And we're actually going to do a column on the state of sports radio. So we'll talk about that too. Tom Lee, ladies and gentlemen, I Hi, can't Seth. believe I'm talking to you. It's been a few, few years, but uh, good to see you. And thank you for having me. This is crazy. Uh, how are you? How, are, are you good? What's been, what's been going on? Is, is the pandemic been okay? Are you safe? Everybody is safe. Everybody is healthy right now. Knock on wood. It's been a, Needless to say, I'll, and I hate that term, needless to say, but it's been an odd year. Um, so, uh, but everybody's healthy. I'm sitting in a, in a suburb of Dallas and enjoying life and all, all is well. That's great to hear. It, it, it's great, great to hear and it's great to have you on. You were a program director for a long time. I, let's see, I'm going to try my memory. Uh, I, I know my memory of you pre-Seattle is probably better than my post-Seattle. Because what I remember is you started in Kansas City. Yes, I did. I I was in Kansas City for several years. Uh, Actually worked on the the Royals radio affiliate there that carried Royals baseball. With uh, Ryan Lefevre? Uh, No, Ryan was not there yet. He uh, he came later. He came came after that. Um, And then in 1993, I got a call from the guys in Seattle and wanted to know if I'd be interested in talking to them about running their sports station. And I had never been to Seattle in my life, but <laughs> I, <feeling>. I, t- <laughs> I took a, I got on a plane and took a flight out and, and ended up taking the job in Seattle in 1993. And you fell in love with it. And, and then uh, you had the opportunity to launch before I started asking the self-serving questions. Let's let's, you know, you're a proper <laughs> guest. I can, I can, I, I can get your, 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 your stuff. Uh, you left Seattle to start Fox Sports Radio. Yes, I, I, I got the job in two thousand. Got the call in two thousand. Yep, I remember. And they were launching a, a brand new national sports network, and, and literally, literally from the ground up, we designed the studios. Yep. And they, we started with nothing, yeah. and it's doing okay right now. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing fine. I go on there occasionally still, and uh, I owe my wife the existence of my children to Fox Sports Radio. So. Again, this is going to be a self-serving podcast. 
Uh, and then after Fox Sports Radio, you left. And I remember they replaced you with the late Andrew Ashworth. Yes. And it was different. It was it was it was very different. And I, I was at Fox at that point. Um, and then you went to Philadelphia. Yeah, I had a chance and I I loved Fox. I'm, so far, I haven't got one. Yeah, more. that's amazing. I loved Fox. But one of the things I missed was local radio. And the, the impact you can have when you work at a local radio station. And, and I, would, I would brand network radio maybe more antiseptic. It's kind of clean and you're not- Syndicated, yeah. Yeah, you're just not immersed in communities the way that you are in local radio. And I got a chance to go to WIP in Philadelphia, one of the legendary sports radio stations. Station, yep. built, built by the legendary Tom Bigby, who was a fantastic programmer. Yep. And, and I got a chance to go to Philadelphia and and work with the great, great talent that they had on the station. That was a great, great experience. And it's funny because you had already left WIP when I got there, because I, I got there in 2011. Uh, I was a, a regular on, um, I was there a baseball insider and I did the Phillies pre and post mm -hmm. in 2011. And it was weird because everyone knew you. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know him like I know him. Like, we know him like I know. I'm like, no, you don't. There's no way. And it was so weird. That station was incredible. That was an amazing, an amazing station. It still is. Uh, you yes. know, uh, Howard Eskin is still there. He doesn't do afternoons anymore. Uh, Cataldi is still there uh, with with uh, with mm -hmm. Al Morganti and 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 uh, I'm trying to think. Rhea, Glenn Macnow's been Glenn Macnow's been on this podcast a bunch. Yeah, Glenn is a good man. Yep, good man. Uh, a bunch of great people, and it was funny because when in 2011, when Ryan Howard tore his Achilles. I had a chance to go to NBC Sports Network. They were doing a show. And so the next season, I, um, I said, well, you didn't have me doing every game. So is there any way I could base my schedule around the NBC Sports Network? And they did not like that. They said, you're not a Philly guy. And I said, well, but I'm willing to do it. Just I can't do it every day that you say. And I think at the time, NBC Sports Network paid three times <laughs> for the game. So it really wasn't hard. And I said, plus Ryan Howard tore his Achilles and you guys are going to suck for like a second. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They got their one. They got their one. Right. They yeah. got 08. They got 08. But uh, in 2011, they, got... they had a better team in 2011 than they did in 08. Yeah. Yeah. And... But they got the parade. And that was the big thing. Yep. Yeah, they did. They got the Big parade break. in 2008. That was a, a, a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, after Philly now, now it gets foggy. Well, when I was in Philadelphia, my wife is from Arlington, Texas. Right. I knew that. And so, and when I was in Philadelphia, uh, a position opened up with ESPN radio in right. Dallas. And I, and, and I loved the station in Philadelphia. It was a, an unbelievable experience. And, and the talent there was, was so incredibly good. But, you know, family called. And so we had an opportunity to, to move to ESPN in Dallas. And, and, right. and that was one of the, the five owned and operated. At the That's time, we yes. reconnected Because I was at the New York yes. one, the ESPN in New York. Yeah, at the time, it was one of the five. I think it's down to three now. Aaron but yeah, not been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, he was there, and and so we moved down and and took over at ESPN in Dallas. Did that right. till 2013 when they sold the station to Cumulus, or did an right. LMA with Cumulus? Right. So then I popped in into LA, back to LA. Then you went After, back to LA to do yeah. 710. 
Uh, no, there was a station there called The Beast, KFWB. Yes, I remember that. Yep. And it was it was owned by CBS, but they owned too many stations in the market, and they had to do a uh, put it in a trust because they they had too you know their FCC laws and regulations, and so our job was to go out to LA and make the station successful and so they could sell it. The, the, the trustee uh, was a woman named Diane Sutter, who was a fantastic boss, and she uh, her her role was to get it going well so they could sell it, which we did, and and they sold it in a couple of years, and there we go. And now you're back in uh, in Texas. Yes. And it, did I and and you don't, you can say it or not if you want to give what you're working on a plug or if you say wait and you'll come back on the podcast when you're ready. I'll do that. I'll, I'll give you a little a tease that won't make won't really mean anything to anybody, but we're working on a couple of projects that involve television and potential pod potential audio and video podcast as well hmm. uh, with a partner in LA on uh, on a very unique concept. And so we'll see. Uh, we're going to start shooting, I think, in January or February, and shoot probably ten episodes, nice. uh, a, a pilot or two and then have another few in the in the can so to speak and then see how distribution goes well and i'm not kissing your butt because you're already on the podcast for god's sakes but all i can say to anybody he didn't tell you a lot i don't know if this company is going to be anything great or not all i can say is if you have the opportunity work for this man because <laughs> it was the best and for those of you in the media if sports fans may not get this, but you might not get a lot of this stuff. The in the media, I can count on two hands the amount of assholes that I have encountered over the course of time. And you are literally the gold standard when it came to <laughs> bosses. You were always fair. You weren't a pushover by any stretch. You listened to every idea, even the ones you were dismissed. You didn't like. You didn't belittle people when you when you did. I think I saw you get angry twice in my life. One of them involves Shannon Dreyer, and I love that story. I love Shannon. I know, I know. And and she got her start because she entered our contest. She was a, a barista at, at Starbucks, I believe. Yep. And she entered this this. She sent sent us her audio of a sports update, and it was actually pretty darn good. And you just but said she, she had a different experience. voice, right? You said she had a different voice, and we needed to get. Uh, just somebody different on the air. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, it's, it's funny. We can go there. There was such a push back then. Uh, it was a bunch of white guys yeah. um, uh, at the station. And I don't think you had a prejudice when you were hiring people, but you hired who you liked mm -hmm. and you knew what your sound was. Did you get pressure then, or did you get pressure at a later job to make sure that you had more diversity? Um, I didn't get pressure at KJR at all uh, for that. Um, and, but later, I don't know that I would use the word pressure, but I think we believe that it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So there might've been some internal pressure that I, right. that I put on myself when I was looking to find, at candidates. To find, right, because you didn't want to find somebody just because they were a woman or just because they were black or, or Chinese or, or whatever it was. You, you wanted to find somebody good that also served that demographic you wanted to realize who your audience was and your audience wasn't always a large group of white men there the, the the audience is diverse so you wanted diversity in the opinions and in the views and in the way that people experience life and everybody experiences life different based on their background and their cultures and i always believe you wanted to try to 
replicate that for your audience. Right. And that was the, the right way to do it. And that was the, the, the idea. And you were right about the idea to Shannon. And I was 26 and I just didn't want the work. It was just going to be extra work. And that's, that's what it was. And, you but know, you guys, did, you, you did good with her though. She, she had a great, I don't I, she's still doing it now, but I know she was really good. She's traveling with, well, she didn't travel this year, uh, but she did the Mariners uh, yeah. reporting and it, it was impossible because, you know, she couldn't go into a right. locker room or do anything, but uh, she did a great job. And, you know, it was funny. I listened to a lot of the broadcasts that were remote, you know, all the road teams didn't travel. Right. And there were, it was, it was just hard. It's just very hard. And they did a professional job. They did, they, they did great. In my world, Tom Lee is a Thanksgiving treat. The treat for you guys, NFL football this weekend. I don't even want to touch college this week. Week 12 features three Thanksgiving games, at least scheduled right now. And of course, the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. For those of our U.S. listeners, happy Thanksgiving. This is a weird one. This is a weird Thanksgiving. Don't have a gathering. Cook for yourself. Don't do anything. Don't spread COVID. But have a great Thanksgiving anyway. And I don't know how two are the same. You know, we're looking forward to it. We're going to make the best of it uh, the best we can. It looks like the NFL is going to try and make the best of it as well. As it looks like, as of this recording, they are still going to play ahead with the Ravens and Steelers. Yeah, we can start there. The Ravens and the Steelers is the nightcap. Of course, uh, Dallas and Detroit traditionally host the Thanksgiving Day games. We'll get to those in a second. Uh, Baltimore comes in. They close their facility. Uh, They had all kinds of cases. They've been doing virtual practice. Uh, It's a short week anyway. Uh, It's the Steelers. It's a team they know, and it's an undefeated Steelers team. Right now, the line is still on, and the Ravens, you know, this is a tough one. This is a tough spot in normal times, but they only have one healthy running back that's had any carries. Yeah, with uh, J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram uh, both testing positive for COVID, we saw the line move from two and a half all the way up to four and a half at Bovada. And and you're right. I mean, these short week games, uh, coaches hate them under ideal circumstances. Uh, this is this is insane, this kind of turnaround. The Ravens will have absolutely no prep uh, for this game, or, well, I mean, not a lot of meaningful prep, I should say, uh, for such a quick turnaround. Uh, I get it, it's Thanksgiving. As fans, we want to see this game, uh, but man, the Ravens are going to be in tough, and I think our betters uh, certainly uh, feel that way as well, as 80% of the money so far at Pavada are on the Steelers in the th- Thanksgiving nightcap. You can't argue with that one, and again, at this point, the game is still on uh, Dallas and Washington. And the, I'll say two things that don't make any sense together. Number one, this is a battle for first place in the NFC East. Number two, both teams come in at three and seven and Washington hasn't won on the road. It's uh, you know what? I, I I'm enjoying this out of the NFC East. I would like to see more ties. Uh, I, I don't know what's the minimum amount of wins that could get someone over the threshold. I would love to see a five or six win division winner just for absolute <laughs> chaos. I think that one year when uh, Seattle snuck in at seven and nine and got to host uh, the Rams that year, I think I was probably annoyed then, but 2020 has been such a year of making things up as we go, adding more teams to the playoffs, changing the standards for COVID testing. So you know what, why not, do we, why not just have a five or six win team take the NFC East to the playoffs. So then who knows, maybe they'll run hot. So, I, I mean, I will say that uh, for us at Bovada, it helps that uh, even if it is 
two teams with three wins. That is a first place game. It is meaningful. It doesn't, these two teams don't care about their records. This is a battle for first place in a pretty hapless division. And currently, the way it looks, Cowboys three point favorites, 75% of the money at Bavada is on Dallas. And you know what? Hey, that game is meaningful. Let's hope for a big game. It's going to have a massive television rating. And Alex Smith is such a great story, just watching him do anything. And it was just so weird that he was on the field when Joe Burrow got hurt last week. Yeah, that was, oh, man. I mean, it's so weird to watch Alex Smith watching this. It's such a big injury for Burrow. I have no doubt that he'll recover. But don't forget, Alex Smith had 18 surgeries to get back on the field. Yeah, and, and the last one, of course, being the most daunting one that forced him to miss, uh, what, he missed at least a year, right? Or was it longer than that? But it, it's just, it's insane to see that kind of, uh, you know, that parallel uh, take place in front of us, especially to such a young kid who he was so good at LSU. You know, he's had some flashes of brilliance this year. I still think he's got a great career in front of him. But, you know, you, you really hope that this isn't the start of something that slows him down. I mean, Joe Burrow, insane in college, uh, flashes of brilliance so far this season, you know, expected to make a full recovery. You do hope that he doesn't have that Robert Griffin uh, corollary, though, where, you know, this is the first of many setbacks for a player that just absolutely lit it up. And the game that precedes it is the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions, three and seven against four and six. Houston's a road favorite. Uh, size up this one. And is this going to get... I remember Thanksgiving, you know, when I was growing up, the first football game meant the start of Thanksgiving. It was such a big deal. Is this going to hold my attention? You know what? The spread is low enough. Uh, Texans are only minus three at Bavada right now. And uh, so I, I don't know if it'll be a particularly exciting game. I think the Lions uh, have already started that midseason transition where at the beginning of a, a lot of recent seasons, they've seen, uh, you know, are the Lions for real this year? And at four and six, uh, just coming off a shutout to the Panthers, I don't know that there's a lot of hope in Detroit. But hey, you know, the Texans are not very good either. I know they just came off uh, an impressive win over the Patriots. Romeo Cornell uh, beating Bill Belichick is something that really seems like only could happen in the year of 2020. But, uh, you know, if nothing else, uh, you know, the Lions aren't that great. The Texans aren't that great. Should be a close one. But, uh, you know, I, I think the 12-30 game is when I'll probably start working on sides and maybe not paying so much attention to the actual game itself. All right, surviving uh, Thursday and, of course, Black Friday. Don't even get me started. <laughs> the Chiefs and the Buccaneers on Sunday. It's a, a big one, a CBS game. Tom Brady coming off the Monday night loss against the 9-1, 5-0 road team, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, tough bounce back uh, for Tampa Bay uh, and Tom Brady. Uh, they, they do get to host this game again, but boy, did Tom Brady show his age on Monday Night Football with five interceptions. I thought they just traded away the guy that was throwing a lot of TDs, but just as many interceptions. But I digress. The Bucks are currently three and a half point home underdogs to the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, who've gotten much more consistency from Mahomes. He did have an interception as well on Sunday Night Football, but otherwise that final drive was just, it seemed like a foregone conclusion. Um, if the Raiders aren't scoring with you know, one second left on the clock. It seems like any time, you know, Mahomes, I used to think Rodgers was the best at it. And in a way, he's still quite good. But the way Mahomes brought them down the field was just absolutely terrifying. Uh, as it currently stands, about 60% of the money are on the Chiefs at Bovada. The Bears and the Packers, a classic NFC Central matchup. Chicago Bears coming in, looking to get back on, uh, on 500. The Packers are trying to prove a point that they are the 
class of the conference. What say you about Bears Packers? Bears Packers. Packers have been pretty interesting this year. A lot of, you know, are they good? Are they for real? You know, a, a tough loss against uh, the Colts in overtime last week. Uh, crazy end to that game where the Colts had six holding penalties that stopped the clock. You usually don't see the offense get in their own way like that and give the Packers that opportunity to send it to overtime where they ultimately fell short with a quick uh, fumble on the opening series. Uh, Packers, for the most part, though, have been the best team in the NFC North, uh, not just by record, by points differential. They do look uh, more consistently. This would be a good, not just a statement win, but also a good separation win for them as the Bears at five and five are a bit on their heels there. Packers winning in this spot would put them up three with uh, just uh, about five games left in the season. So they would be in really good shape. This this is the game to really secure the NFC North if you're the Green Bay Packers here. They are currently eight and a half point favorites at Bovada and betting split about 50-50 so far. And that's the uh, Sunday night game, by the way. Uh, the Monday night game, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they're going to want to keep pace with whoever wins the Thanksgiving game between Dallas and Washington, hosting a great Seattle team, uh, comes in to Lincoln Financial Field. Do the Eagles get exposed there? Seahawks are a big favorite on the road, but this is the difference between being in the playoff contention in a bad division versus being a playoff contender in a good division. Yeah, two teams that desperately need a win here. The Seahawks have, uh, you know, had a little bit of struggles at late, especially with Bills and Rams. Uh, Seahawks defense not looking very good. Uh, this might be a great opportunity for Carson Wentz to, you know, maybe throw through some of those yips he's had recently. A lot of difficult throws that he shouldn't be making, a lot of turnovers that, uh, you know, they can beat the Browns if he's not throwing pick sixes and throwing into coverage and trying to, you know, he's got this almost Brett Favre streak in him to try and make the pass that he shouldn't be. And uh, for the success rate or lack thereof so far, you should maybe uh, try and hone in that uh, gunslinger uh, attitude that he's got so far. Looking at this game, as you noted, uh, the Seahawks are favorites. They are five and a half point favorites at Bovada. And the Seahawks are also the most bet team this week at Bovada so far. So uh hate to say it, but we will be rooting heavily for Carson Wentz, which this year has not been uh, pretty good for us, but uh, you know, something we'll have to suck it up and take anyways. You know, and uh, it should be an interesting week. This is week 12 in the NFL. All right. The head odds maker at Bovada is Patrick Morrow. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Now back to our conversation with Tom Lee. Some of the podcasts that we did during the pandemic, we had a month where we interviewed the busiest people in sports yeah. who were doing nothing. And the three people were, um, it was four episodes. It was Ian Eagle, uh, Kenny Albert, and Chris Majkowski, who is the road engineer for the New York Mets, New York Giants, New York Rangers, New York Knicks, Westwood One, and St. John's. He does 310 nights a year, and he'd been home doing nothing. And I said, I'll never get you on this podcast ever until then. And that was, we, so we did a month of the busy people. And then the other two that were really notable, um, when Rudy Gobert tested positive in March mm -hmm. and the NBA made the announcement to shut down, to suspend operations, uh, the Mavericks were playing the Denver Nuggets on ESPN and my buddy Ryan Rucco was doing the game. And he had to break that news and not lose his mind because of, how unprecedented that was 
and yet call a game and not have to overstate a game. Like if a guy dunks a ball, the sport is shutting down mm-hmm. and he, he handled it so masterfully. Uh, that was a great one. And the one other one is you remember when Rudy Gobert touched the microphones of those five reporters. Yes. And I went off. I was like, nobody touches my stuff like that, that, that never happened. And we found one of the guys whose microphone he touched and that podcast, if I could recommend to anybody who's like new to the show, find those two episodes. Those are two of the great Ryan Rucco and his name is Ben Anderson. He's on the Utah jazz radio network and our buddy, uh, David Locke, yeah. uh, introduced me to him because I said to David, I said, you know, any of these guys that Rudy Gobert licked the microphones? And he said, yeah, I do. And he gave me three of the names and two of them didn't want to touch it, but yeah. Ben did. And he was wow. great. Wow. All in the last nine months. All in the last nine months. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's been weird. And nobody's in gyms and podcast listenership, you know, has, has been down. People aren't in cars as much and it, it, it's just different. And yet the guests have been improved <laughs> like because nobody's doing anything. And people, people have on Twitter. Well, people on Twitter would go, hey, who do you have on Sports with Friends this week? And I would reply, well, I'm going to see what LeBron James is doing because everybody <laughs> was doing nothing. Right. And everybody was home. So it was yeah. weird. Um, all right. Here's a self-serving question. I have a distinct memory of meeting you. Not face to face on the phone. I remember the first time you and I ever spoke. Yeah. I, I can remember it. Do you and do you know how you found me? Because you initiated our conversations. I, I do know that I initiated it. You were in Denver, correct? Yep, I was in Denver. I remember that. Um, what I typically did was I would scour other stations. I'd listen to other stations, and I kept a list of potential uh, talent, whether talk show hosts or sports update anchors or play-by-play people. And so I know that I had that list. I'm sure that I listened to some of your work and made the call. I don't remember the specifics necessarily about making the call, but I was interested after hearing your work. Okay, I appreciate that. Here was the story. The Denver Broncos in 97 slash 98 were the Super Bowl champions. That's the, that, that, that was Super Bowl 32. Uh, that's when they beat the Green Bay Packers. And I was the beat reporter for that team from like day one of training camp. And being 25, I befriended a lot of those players. Yeah. And this was in its infancy of Madden football, the mm-hmm. video game. And a bunch of the Denver Broncos and I started a Madden league where we would play on dial-up internet. We would play football against <laughs> each other. And the only rule was if you were a Bronco, you couldn't be on the Bronco. You couldn't be the Bronco. And our playoffs were going into the actual playoffs and we couldn't finish our Madden season because they won the Super Bowl. And I got invited to a float. I got to invited to be on a float with those guys. And I was 25 and I didn't have any scruples whatsoever. And I remember you, well, it wasn't, this wasn't you. This wasn't you. This is not when I heard you, but the first time I ever heard of KJR, someone booked me from the float to go on a talk show. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever heard of there was a radio station in Seattle. I didn't know anything about Seattle. Two months later, February of that month. So that happens in January. This is now February. The Denver Nuggets were going for the 
all-time worst record in professional sports history. This is before the Lions went 0-16. And someone, I think it was Pat Haller, I think, had called me and said, are you going to be at the Nuggets game? And I wasn't planning on it, but because I liked the station, I said, yes, I will. And Tommy Shepard, who's now the general manager of the Washington Wizards, gave us uh, gave me a courtside credential because no one was covering these nuggets <laughs> like they were brutal. And I believe I went on with Mike Gastineau. And the way I remember it is they were having me on just to talk about the Nuggets being the worst team in sports history. And there was a guard by the name of Bryant Stith. And right in front of me, he drives the lane and gets fouled. Now he'll go to the line for two. And as that's happening, Mike Gassineau asks me, so bottom line, it, it, are, the, are the Denver Nuggets going to be the worst professional team in sports history? And losing myself in the interview, I said, are you kidding? Look at their schedule. To find me one game they can win <laughs> and brian stith is dribbling at the line and he stops and turns to me and shrugs his shoulders like what the hell are you doing? what are you what are you doing and i was mortified and i started whispering and my guest and it just goes why are you whispering and i said i'd love to be on your show but I just stopped an NBA game. <laughs> I'm worried for my safety. Yeah. And the next day I heard from you. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's not surprising. I don't, I didn't know that background story. I don't yeah. think, yeah. but I'm sure I, I would bet money that Pat Haller probably came in and said, Hey, that was funny. Or you need to, you need to talk to him because I know we're always looking to upgrade our talent level or add people. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. And I'm, and I'm sure that's what happened. Pat probably either I heard it. Right. Or, or Pat came in and said, here, call this guy. Right. Um, Jay Garza. Do you remember Jay? Yeah, of course. Yes. Jay was, Jay was one of our executive producers there. He went in, to Denver and I yes. worked with Jay in Denver before I, I went to Seattle. So Jay was producing at the time, one of our, I think he might've been working with Mike Gastineau in afternoon drive. And he came in to me and goes, Hey, I've got a woman coming on the show yes, next that you so. might want to listen to. Yep. I think she's pretty good. And I said, okay, I'll take a listen. So um, Michelle came on the show and was talking with Gastineau. She was in Virginia, I believe, at the time. And she was very, very good. And she was informative. She was knowledgeable. Gastineau was a funny interviewer, but a really, really good interviewer. And it was a great segment. So I went and I told Jay, I said, can you get me her number? I'd like to talk to her. So he did. So I called up Michelle and I said, Hey, I'd really like to talk to you maybe about something with KGR in Seattle. She goes, Tom, I'd love to. And I'm, I'm flattered that you're interested, but I just signed a contract with CBS television, Michelle Tafoya. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not the story I was expecting. That's, That's wild. And I said, okay, but if, if I said, I'm sure I said, well, if it falls through with CBS, yeah, yeah, re reach out to me or something. Oh my but, God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Michelle Tafoya. Wow. That's funny. I thought you were going to talk about and it, it threw me when you said Michelle, because I thought you were going to say Nancy Yeah. and Nancy Donnellan, who is known uh, as the fabulous sports babe. Yes. I got, she was hired at KGR when I got there. She was the, right. she was and, already there. Yeah. She was already there. And I always felt uncomfortable calling her the babe. It just didn't, <laughs> didn't fit. <laughs> I said, your name is Nancy. She goes, Tommy. 
call me the you gotta call me the babe <laughs> she really wanted that 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 and uh and and jt the brick he had to be the brick yeah yeah that's that's true and and, and, and it's it, it's so funny We'll get back to Sports with Friends in just a moment. But first, did you know that I have another podcast that I do? It's like Sports with Friends, but it's a little different. It's about the superhero sci-fi universe. I have been a fan of comic books, animation, movies. And when I started the Hall of Justice podcast, we wanted to do it for adults. Why did I name it the Hall of Justice? Because if you're old enough to know what the Hall of Justice is, you're our demographic. The idea of the show is to take the same passion that fans have for sports, but to bring it to the superhero genre. We have movie reviews where we spoil the movie. Don't worry, we warn you so that you can see it first. We also have celebrity guests where we interview actors, voice actors. The Hall of Justice podcast comes out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. When we got there, uh, I just remember, <laughs> I remember the, the, when we met, the first thing you said is, uh, go see the, the baseball stadium, but remember, they're building a new one. <laughs> and you got me a, a credential to go see the construction that was going on that would be the, their new ballpark. Yeah. And that was key because that baseball stadium was awful. Oh, it was awful. You mean the kingdom? The kingdom was, oh. it was a, but, but the memories that we have there, um, my favorite memory is the end of it. When uh, you had us do a extended post game show for the end of the kingdom. Because mm -hmm. we did this post game show from there, but because it was the end of the kingdom, we, we, we went on and we had all these guests, we carried the ceremony. And so we had left and the media parking was usually behind center field. If you think about a baseball field, but the entrance was behind home plate. So you'd have to go out and then walk around. And we were there so late in the game that we thought this was a, you know, this was a, this was a, an opportunity that we could just cross through. And it was myself, Dave Mahler, softy, who, for those of you who want to meet him, he's episode <laughs> 190. Um, it was Shannon Dreyer. And Bob Stelton, who's now doing afternoons in Seattle. And the four of us took this now famous picture uh, standing on the pitcher's mound uh, of it. And then we all wanted to do something on the field. And it was like, what would it feel like to slide in a second base and whatever? And I was, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't know what to do. And I remember as we were getting through, Dave is like, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. And I was like, all right, let's see what it feels like to crash into the wall. And I didn't realize that they had dislodged the wall, the center field wall, because they were getting ready to turn it into a football stadium. Yeah. And I knocked the whole thing over. And we ran, ran out of there. And that's, you know, the, the, these are things like that I remember. And I remember you telling me, because the first year I was there, they had a lockout in the NBA. And you kept telling me the Sonics were it. The Sonics were the thing. Like they, it's when this town comes alive for the Sonics. And we were owned at the time by the owner of the Sonics, Barry Ackerley. And you had made me the backup to David Locke as the host of the Sonic games. So I would, and he always went goddamn skiing. 
And I would, it, I would always, uh, I did like 10 to 12 games every year yeah. um, while I was there. And it was perfect. It was just enough to, to be involved, but I didn't have the Sean Kemp years. I had Vin Baker. Yeah. I didn't have George Carl. I had Paul Westfall. Yeah. <laughs> and I had like, and, and all I kept saying to Pat and to Mike and to all those people, I just kept saying, when is this town come alive for Sonics? <laughs> like, when was it? And what I learned was the, the, the Sonics were a family. And that's why, even though that was not my forte, like when I was there, the Sonics leaving still stings. Uh-huh. And you feel it for all the people that we knew there. And you must know so many people that were affiliated with that organization uh. that lost their jobs because of that crime that was committed to yeah. take that team away. Yeah, it was really sad. A lot of people, <clears throat> I knew all the people in the front office. Uh, a lot of them were really good friends. Um, Kevin Calabro, the play-by-play voice of the Sonics for years and years and years and years. I, I'm pretty sure they offered him the, the opportunity to, to move with them, but he elected not to and has since done pretty well for himself in all the other things that he's he's done in his play-by-play career. But it was a really sad time when they did and and it was sad for all those people who some who had the opportunity or the, at least the option to move. <clears throat> Excuse they all me. didn't want to do it. And they know a lot of them. Just, yeah. Moving from, and this is no slight on Oklahoma city, but it's not Seattle. Uh, <laughs> um, and so if you're, if you're born and raised in the Pacific Northwest and, and love that city and love that area, uh, I, I, I can surely understand why the, the thought of moving to Oklahoma city wasn't real appealing. And the, the irony of, of that, and it, 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 this is a really funny story, was I was doing a Sunday night show for uh, Westwood One for NBC Sports Radio when Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors. And I wasn't following it because I didn't have a co-host at the time. So, like, you had to focus on everything and you're doing it remotely. And, you know, I didn't see the news. I didn't see that Durant had signed with the Warriors. And we're taking calls. The guy calls up and says, what do you make of uh, Durant signing with the Warriors? And my initial reaction was, well, now I can root for him again. <laughs> yeah. I said, because that slimeball owner took that. T- and I just, I, I went right into it. And I didn't realize we were on the Thunder flagship station. The night they lost Durant, I ripped them to shreds and on their station. And I felt badly, but I stood by it because it's a crime. And I, have you ever seen the documentary? Because I know we've done an episode on that. Uh, the documentary Sonic's Gate, you would no. love it because you know. I, have, I, all I would it. love it. I haven't. Oh, seen I'll it. send it to you. I, I have the digital file. I'll send it to you. It's a great documentary. Um, these two kids made it, and they were. Oh, they're not kids now because they made it ten years ago. Yeah, but it's fantastic. Sonic's Gate, uh, and it goes into who the villains of that are, and it doesn't absolve the city. It 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 does. It's very. Uh, non-judgmental. The only people that really can't, you can't look in the eye at the time was um, was Howard Schultz, mm-hmm. David Stern, and Clay Bennett. And the way I used to make the analogy is uh, Clay Bennett was like the Joker. Like he was just the epitome of evil. Howard Schultz was the Riddler. Just the villain that you just, did, you, you don't know how to figure him out. And Stern was Lex Luthor because he was the mastermind behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And when David Stern died, 
we did a, a podcast where we didn't really pay tribute to him, but we did a very objective uh, review of his career. And I put on an NBA union rep who fought him tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. I put on uh, someone, a journalist who properly, you know, governed him. And then I put Bob Stelton on. <laughs> And I said, just so you know, there's a whole part of this country that doesn't agree with anything that you just heard. And and Bob went to town, went yeah. to town on David Stern. Yeah. Yeah. It it was a sad time for Seattle. I'm, I'm still shocked they don't have a team yet. At some point, you'd think they will because they certainly supported the team. Um, but I guess time will tell. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, they have the arena being built. Key Arena is being remodeled. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, I bet they're it, saying uh, zero carbon, whatever that phrase is. Yeah. And it looks it looks like something something really unique. Interesting. Hmm. I hope they get a team. I, they, they deserve it. and They certainly would support it. Uh, episode 231, the complicated legacy of David Stern. Wow. I can tell you a quick David Stern story. Sure. I was uh, as I said, I was working at KJR and also with the front office of the Supersonics. Right. One of my roles was the director of broadcast for the Supersonics. Right. So I, I oversaw the radio and the television. Well, during, when the NBA playoffs came to town, the rules were different a little bit back then. But, but there were times when the network would do a, game, a, a TV game early in the playoffs. And the local TV rights holder also could do a game if it was early in the playoffs, the first or second round. After that, the networks took it all over unlike today when they have all of the, all of the games. So on local television, we had the, we had the game. Um, and then the other thing that came up was the network wanted a camera position at center court, <laughs> right at center court. Our owner, Barry Ackerley, did not want to give up his courtside seats for his season ticket holders who spent all that money with the team. Right. And he didn't want to have to displace them to some other place. And so he said, no to the network you're not getting that that camera position and you had to tell them well no i didn't but i <clears throat> i got a call from my boss who was in a circular staircase right above me in my yeah, office I, yeah. he goes tom i need you to come up here okay he goes i got i have david stern on the line okay and our marching orders were from barry ackerley the owner of the team were we're not giving up that camera position i'm not going to take those seats away so I walk in, I, I, I knock on my boss's door, he motions me in, and all I could hear <clears throat> were F-bombs and someone yelling at the top of their voice every, every nasty, mean thing you could imagine oh, to God. my boss who put him on speaker and said, oh. that's David Stern, he wants those cameras at, at center court. Oh my God, that's, yeah, so that's wild. I could just picture him standing up on his, on his desk yeah. screaming at a speakerphone i want those effing cameras and i want them now <laughs> well you know he was funny because in 2011 i was working for the new jersey nets not the brooklyn nets mm -hmm. i did one year with the brooklyn net uh with the new jersey nets and he was at the prudential center in newark and the nets came to me and they were like you have to talk to him for halftime i was like okay yeah. and he we, we meet up and we're getting ready to go into like a, a quiet room in the Prudential Center. And he just says to me, and I wasn't going to say a word, but he just says, you look really familiar. We've met before. 
<laughs> said, yeah, I used to work in Seattle yeah. uh, with the Sonics. And he changed his whole demeanor changed after because this was about five or six years after it happened. And his whole demeanor changed. And it was it was wild. It was wild. Yeah. I cannot recommend that documentary enough. It is. Yeah. It's fantastic. I will send it to you as please, soon as we're done recording. Please do. I'd love to see love it. it. Yeah. Um, the interviews that they do and the logic behind how they how Howard Schultz sold that team to Clay Bennett is beyond me. And the idea was is because he was a simple man and he basically Hurricane Katrina. I mean, it was Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Hurricane Katrina happens. Clay Bennett reaches out and does a very benevolent thing. He allows the New Orleans, they were the Hornets then, the New Orleans Hornets to play rent-free in the Oklahoma City arena while they're rebuilding New Orleans. And there's an email. In the documentary, you see the email where David Stern is like, I will get you a team. He says it, I'll get you a team. And then you see Schultz selling to Bennett and Bennett's saying how we're going to try to get an arena now, again, I'm not absolving the Seattle politicians. They were idiots in this whole thing, but it's criminal what took place. And that documentary show it, it lays out all the evidence and you can't refute it. It's not, it's not somebody's opinion. And that was the, that was the thing. It's not someone's opinion. He did it. And I don't take away what David Stern meant for the sport. But if you tell the story, it's the same thing with Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant was right around the same time as David Stern. It was like a month later. And it was tragic what happened to Kobe Bryant. But if we're telling the entire story of Kobe Bryant, you have to talk about how he was when he was a rookie. Mm -hmm. And you have to talk about sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you have to do it completely. And I remember Atan Thomas, uh, who's been on this podcast, uh, former Washington Wizard, he was uh, he played with Kobe in a high school league, like in a tournament, uh, like a camp, not a tournament, a camp. And he thought he was an asshole. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's what I need. I like, tell the truth and say what it is. And I'm not denying that Kobe Bryant seemed to have changed his life. But don't ignore that part of it because it did happen. Yeah, yeah. you're the sum of your your deeds, good and bad. Right. That's yeah. what you are. It, it, all, all of them. And that's that's how it, it comes out. Um, radio seems different now. Uh, technology has changed radio. You're not in radio anymore, but it's not just that. It's radio has been about downsizing. It's been about bad morale. Um, iconic stations are not immune to it. Uh, WIP seen layoffs, KJR seen layoffs, WFAN seen layoffs. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's ugly. ESPN's laid off hundreds. Um, the media industry seems to be under siege. What do you, I know what I attribute it to. What do you attribute it to? Well, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot of probably factors that, that play into it. Um, it's a tough business. It's a really, really tough business. Um, and it's hard, especially in, in these, these days of the pandemic and, and everything that we're going through in 2020, it's, it's hard to make money. It's hard to, to show a profit, not, not, not so much even show a profit, but 
show less of a loss in, in today's advertising uh, world. But I, I think to me, one of the biggest issues that I, I sense in here, and it's just become, to me, a lot of it's become so much of the same, same old thing. You don't hear a lot of the innovation that maybe we were allowed to do a few years ago. Uh, it, it's, it's, it lacks imagination. It lacks, I think, some leadership that's relentless and fearless. Because if you're, if you're really going to win in radio, and it, and it also has a lot more competition. Podcasts compete with radio. You can't be listening to radio when you're listening to a podcast. Uh, so there's, you've got, you know, you've got the satellite radio companies. You've got uh, so many more options uh, when you're, you're competing for the, for the eyeballs and the ears of the, of the potential listeners. Um, but to me, and, and, and there's a lot of the, the, the big corporate companies do a lot of good things, but um, it's become, I think, a little bit too much. It's cookie cutter rather than imaginative and daring. And uh, I remember the, some of the things that, that the fabulous sports babe used to, to do and say that if she did it in today's world, they probably would tell her to cut it out and take her off the air. And she was a fabulous, fabulous talent. Uh, pardon the, the use of the word fabulous. But so I, I really just believe that, that there's so many different reasons that it's not what it used to be. I think it, it can still be really good and there are stations that, that are still doing it really, really well. Um, but I think they're fewer than, they, than there used to be. But I just, I just think it needs leaders that are, are, are more fearless and, and it's okay to take a chance. And in today's world, you know, it used to be if we'd put a show on the, on the radio and you'd check the ratings, but you wouldn't check the ratings for three months or six months. Right. You'd, get your, you'd get your quarterlies. Right now, you get the weeklies, and you look at well, weekly trends, and, well, and, and and that's where like what they'll tell you now is because everything's measured on the quarter hour. It used to be say your name a lot because you wanted name recognition. You wanted you know, you explained to me how Dave Mahler became softy, and it was like that's what'll help ratings because people will say they'll fill out those those Nielsen books and they'll say who do I listen to? Well, I don't know what time it was, but I listen to softy. Mm -hmm. And that, that, you know, Imus in the morning or Howard Stern, like the, that, that's how that works. Um, now they'll tell you that every quarter hour has to have something in the NFL. Mm -hmm. well, the NFL does drive ratings for, for sports radio. And I'm not, and I'm a football fan. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if that, if the topic is not the reason I gravitated toward baseball was it was just intelligent. Mm -hmm. the, the, the conversation was more intelligent. And for football, when you talk about, whether or not the Steelers defense can bring their, 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 like all that is, is hype. Mm -hmm. That, that to me is, is, is fluff. And it's not, it doesn't have substance. And I'm not saying a good football conversation can't be good. What I'm saying is if you're having a conversation, that's not football, you have to cut it because you haven't talked enough football in that quarter hour. And that, that drives me bananas that, and the idea that I think podcasts spoil people is any commercial that plays on this podcast is my voice. Mm -hmm. So everything's a read. And if you've heard it before, you fast forward it because you've heard it before, you, you've gotten the message. So the advertisement worked. The, 
idea behind radio is the two things that I can't stand anymore are the commercials and the callers. And I don't know how radio combats that. Like some shows don't take calls, but if I never have to hear Joey in the Bronx, and if Joey, you're a subscriber, I apologize, but my God, I don't need to hear these dumb trade propositions. And, you know, I don't care what everybody thinks about the new med owner. And I just, all of that drives me bananas. And in a podcast, you know, good radio stations put their best segments out on a podcast anyway. Mm -hmm. So I can hear um, uh, Chris Russo, but I don't have to hear Joey in the Bronx. Yeah. And that's a, there's a major, and to me, that's death of a thousand cuts. A lot of, a lot of the great radio stations don't take calls anymore. That used to be what you, that's all, all you do. That was your, that was your, 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 you used to say it wasn't, but people thought unless they were calling, you weren't doing a good show. I used to have, I used to have a, a host who would come in at the end of his show and he would sit down and he would tell me exactly how many calls he took in that show. It was his goal to get as many calls in as he could. And I said, okay, so what, tell me about, tell me about some of the good calls. Tell me about some of your good content. Tell me about your opinions. Tell me about what you did to drive an audience. And all he cared about was how many calls he could, he could take. And I always used to tell him this, and I, you may have even heard this way back in the day, but I would say, you know, I could put a psychic on the air and I'm going to get a thousand calls and about a thousand people are going to turn off one by one by one, turn it off because it's not good radio. I can get call, I could go on the radio and I'm not a talk show host and get calls. It's really, they, they want to hear the talent. They, they want to hear the, the opinions of the, of the radio host who's being paid to entertain them. And, and callers typically don't do that. Being sprinkled in occasionally is okay, but a lot of good, a lot of the really good stations don't even take calls anymore. I used to do, uh, I used to call it, what's your favorite color? If yeah. you came out on a talk show and said, I'm going to hear to make the argument for purple. And I'll tell you why purple's the best. You'll get people calling in going, I think red, I think blue. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's good. And boy, yeah, that's engaging radio, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And, and, and you could get that. And back in the nineties, it was, uh, should Pete Rose be in the hall of fame and should Casey Martin be allowed to drive a cart? Oh yeah. And, and you told me anytime you heard somebody talking about Casey Martin, that they're lazy. They're not even trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's, there's those standard topics that you can regurgitate and recycle and they'll get calls. I mean, you could you could bring it up today. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? And you're going to get a lot of calls because everybody that follows baseball has an opinion one way or the other on it. Um, right. One of the one of the really good talk show hosts that I like is I, I like Colin Coward a lot just because mm -hmm. he he I, I learned something from him, and I don't okay. have to hear callers. And he has a different take on on a lot of the different conversations, and and his take is always unique and interesting and. And it makes me think. I may not agree with them, but it makes me think. And that's that's what a really good radio host does. And he's really fine-tuned that. But there's way too many. And I don't, I don't think the radio industry as a whole has taken the time to to train and create the new, the next level of great talk show hosts. Uh, most managers and directors, uh, program directors, and don't don't have enough time in their day to, to to work with the talent and make them better and 
And it's, it's a, that, that's part of the reason I think that radio has declined, uh, that we haven't invested in our talent, which is really what drives radio. It's, it's the on-air talent. It, it is. And that's what makes radio stations great. When you look back at your radio career, um, most talented, and who is just the best person that you felt you were so lucky to meet? From an on-air standpoint, guys that worked for me? For, or just... talent, for the talent question, but from the other one was just somebody, like you told the Michelle Tafoya story, like yeah. who in your years were you like, holy moly, I got to meet this person or work with that person yeah. and they turned out, you know, I, I don't know. The most talented is a tricky question because I was really fortunate to work with a ton of talented people. Everyone at KJR when we were there was really talented. Dave Grosby and Mike Gasnow and, and the fabulous sports babe. And, and later on, Mitch Levy and, yep. and uh, all of the people that did the update, you know, updates for us were all, and I'm sure I'm forgetting people there at KJR even. Uh, Michael Knight and New York Vinny were, were really good too. They were a morning show for us for, for many years. Me, yeah. yeah, and they were really good. Uh, so they had, they had talented people. Uh, Vinny Ricci, by the way, is New York Vinny and he's a prince of a guy. He is a fabulous guy. Um, and then at, at WIP, Angelo Cataldi was one of the most talented. Yeah. Um, he, he was a fabulous and is a fabulous radio guy. I mean, he really understands how to, how to do radio. And some of it, I'm sure was natural. And some of it, I'm, Tom Bigby probably gets some credit for, although Angelo may dispute that, but, but um, Angelo was talented. We had Howard Eskin in a completely different way. Uh, yeah. talented. I mean, two, on this podcast, and you could not get two people who were who who approached it diff, more differently, but still had had great success. Anthony Gargano was there, and he's a talented guy. I mean, Mike Missanelli, and there's tons of people at, at WIP that were great. And then I think about the national level, and you think about guys like Tony Bruno, yeah. and Jim Rome, and and a lot of guys that that did it there. And then I get to Dallas and there's a guy here named Randy Galloway who did afternoon drive and who's an icon in Dallas. Very talented, yeah. And he was, he was one of the most talented from a local standpoint in his specific market. So I, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting several that I, that I wish I wouldn't forget, but I've been really lucky to work with a lot of really, really talented people. Great, great radio people. The um, don't tell him I said this, but to me, the most talented radio host that I know was Dave Mahler. And he didn't even know it. I don't think he, for years, I don't, I'm not sure he recognized it, but he just was he, innately talented. And he, at you know, first I liked him, he, you know, he was so interested. And I don't know if you put him up to it, but the first week I was there, I didn't know a soul. And he just came over to me and he just said, Hey, uh, you're coming out with me tonight. And he just wanted to get to know me. Yeah. And we went out to 13 coins and we sat there and we wound up doing that 200 times, you know, in, in our, yeah. in our day, he was a groomsman in my wedding, yeah. but, from a purely objective standpoint, he is the most talented. Um, and, you know, he started as an intern at, the, at yep. KJR and just yeah, worked he worked his, at Red Robin. He worked at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. He worked his butt off as an intern. And, and I would challenge him. I don't know if he remembers this or not, but he'd come and go, let me just let me do anything on the air. I said, you're an intern. I, I just want to be on the air. Okay. Why don't you go do some updates for me? Go, go into a studio and record them and let me hear them. And he'd do it. He'd come back an hour later. Here's five. And he, he, he earned everything 
he he has now. He's he's he really, really story. He he was first of all Howard Eskin. I, I feel like I, I I owe this to the audience. Howard Eskin, by the way, is episode twenty. Uh, we're at two hundred seventy six. Um, and Softy is we told you one ninety. Um, Softy, uh, when he was on the podcast, he told the story about when he was board hopping, and he was he he missed a break. And Joel Myers was doing the Raiders game. <laughs> yeah, and and dropped some bad language like, on when will this effing game end? Yes, yes. And it was on your stick because you had this idea because you didn't have the Seahawks rights and you had this idea to get the Raiders because you always had a divisional game and it was it was good counter programming. Mm-hmm. And he was the board up of the Raider games and he missed a break. And Joel Myers said. And it's Joel Meyer's fault because you always assume a microphone is, right. is live, but still. Yeah. His his engineer on site should have had him potted down. We should have had him, you oh, know, potted down. And, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember that. It, 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 right. And there's, and it, it just, it seems like everything back then, everything was familial. It just felt like it. Yeah. And if there was a problem, it was your brother that had a problem or sister that had a problem. It wasn't, it was just different. And that was one thing I thought about the community there, that the, the Seattle community, even though it's a big city, it, it has a very commuted community feel. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's just different. And I've, I've lived in, in Denver. I've lived in Philadelphia. I've lived, well, I didn't live in Philadelphia. I lived in New Jersey, but uh, I've worked in New York. I've worked all, you know, all over the country. And Seattle, there was just something unique about it. And it's not what tourists, it's not the tourist sells. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when people mm-hmm. sell that city, it, I don't even know if I can put it into proper context, but there was just something that felt like you belonged. Mm-hmm. It was just felt like you were part of something familial. It was very strange. Yeah. And I think the station was that way too. We had a lot of guys that were pretty close. I think, and, and remain very close and good friends. And, and they're all really good people. And it, it made it fun. It made it a lot of fun. Well, one last uh, uh, instance that we have to bring up, and it has to do with um, me leaving Seattle, and you predated it because you left to go launch Fox. And I introduced, you, you don't remember, but I introduced to you Andrew Siciliano mm-hmm. and Andrew was what well, he's been on the podcast before. And he, um, he was my classmate. He, we graduated together at, at Syracuse. And I said to you, I said, there's this guy. He's, he's great. And he had just lost his gig at WMAQ in Chicago and was looking for something new. And I just said, he's perfect for you. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what he's turned that into, he yeah. was with Tony Bruno for the, all those years, but then he went to direct TV and he's at this perfect job. Like if there's ever a job that was made for a human being, it's Andrew Siciliano on that red zone from direct TV. And uh, now he's at M- NFL network as well. And he's done uh, wonders for himself. And he owed me one because I introduced him to you mm-hmm. and the Mariners were they on the last day of the season in 2000. And I always say, I, I owe the existence of my kids to a baseball game. He, he, um, the Mariners on this one day, they were in Anaheim and I was there in Anaheim 
And if they won, they were in the wild card. And if they lost, they weren't. And they won. And by winning that wild card, they went to Chicago. They played the White Sox and they beat them. And then they went to New York to play the Yankees. And Andrew paid the favor back and introduced me to Andy Roth. Okay. Yeah. Because I introduced Andrew Siciliano to you, Andrew introduced me to Andy Roth. And we always talk about meetings. I've never had a job offered to me based on a tape. It's yeah. always been, if I meet the person, then I have a shot. Mm -hmm. And I went out to lunch with those guys and I met those guys and they were launching MLB radio. And I am convinced that if the Mariners don't win that game, it never comes up. You know, Andrew never thinks about it. I'm probably still living in Seattle. And, <laughs> and then I remember I asked you if I could cover games because my baseball contract said I couldn't cover baseball games, but I could cover all the other sports. So you had me stringing games mm -hmm. and I, yeah. and I was in the press box of the old giant stadium. And that's how I met my wife. And so my kids exist. Like you had a, two chances. Like, first of all, if you didn't leave Seattle, I wouldn't have gone for that. Yeah. And second of all, you leaving Seattle led to the Andrew connection to MLB. You don't realize, but you were single-handedly <laughs> affected my life. And it's not, never a day goes by. And I haven't spoken to you in years, I know, but yeah. that does not ever leave my mind. Like, I completely remember both those instances and how monumental those were. Well, my, first of all, my apologies to your wife. So <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm the one to blame, she can, she can look at me. You know, I had a boss one time tell me this, and I've, I've always remembered it. He said, you're going to have 100 conversations every day in your position. A lot of them aren't going to seem to matter to you that much. But in all likelihood, in your position, they are probably one of, if not the most important conversation that person you're talking to will have that day. Because you, you are over them in, a, in, in your position. You hire them, you fire them, you, you train them, you sure. manage them. So you have to take every conversation you have as if it's the most important one of the day, which is really a good way to think about life in general, actually. But I always remembered that and it made a lot of sense. And so it's like, okay, that, that, I get that. And whenever I would have a conversation with my boss, sometimes I'd have to remind him of that <laughs> because he might be ready to blow me off and say, wait a minute, this is an important conversation. No, no, you never know. You never know. Yeah, I mean. And it just, it's just wild how, how things happen and how things change. Because going from Denver to Seattle was no, no difference, you know, mm -hmm. from a logistical standpoint. It was a flight home. And I was never going to LA. And I remember we talked about it like briefly. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, LA, like if I'm going to go to the second most expensive city in the country, go to the most yeah. expensive city, but be Which home. Which is home, yeah. yeah. And it was the opposite. And, uh, and, and I, re I remember that. that was, it wasn't a long conversation, but I do remember having yeah. that. And then I just remember when, when MAQ happened with Andrew, I called you immediately. And I said, there's a guy that you have to get this guy. He's super talented. And, uh, and you guys wound up hitting it off and Andrew wound up working for Fox. You know, I, and I tried to actually hire, Oh, I actually talked to, to, uh, can you hear that? Okay. I actually talked to um, Andrew when I was back in LA the second time 
and we were putting together some more talent for for the beast and oh, okay. I, I had an interest in seeing if andrew wanted to do some radio knowing that he had it what he had with the nfl network and with the red yep. zone and it took me like a month to get a hold of him because it was in the off season and i think he was off hiking and hiking in the mountains of, Itali of italy right, somewhere right. and and ultimately we hooked up at, at a cowboys training camp and and talked about it and and it just it didn't work out at the time but yeah, yeah. It just kind of came full circle and that it would have been a really good asset for the station, but it didn't fit in with his schedule. But it's a small world. It's, it's especially in this in this business, it's amazing. It's amazing how you, you run across people that you don't know and or that you've worked with over the years. Well, like I said, I could talk to you for hours. And I I remember you saying, How long is this? And I'm like, it's not gonna be short. Like I I, I knew <laughs> I knew once we got started. Um, what's your attitude? How do you feel about social media as we close this up? Oh, that's a, that's a question that could go for an hour, right? For real? <laughs> well, social media is here to stay. Obviously it's not going anywhere. I think, um, I think it can be the, the downfall and has been the downfall of a lot of people. Uh, at the same time, I think it, it can give a lot of, I think it has a lot of positives as well. And I think the smart people in in media, whether it's radio or television or podcasting, will use social media and know how to use it and know how to how to communicate. It's another form of communication. Clearly, um, I worry about it from the standpoint of I have two kids who don't know any don't know a world without social media, uh, and but probably don't understand what social media could do to damage their careers or their future. So it's a constant teaching process about the pitfalls of social media but if if it's used properly and if uh, there's it's a way to reach out to people i've connected with so many people through social media that i probably would never reconnected with which has been great and it's a way to to in in podcasting or or what other other form of your content it's a way to get get new listeners and new viewers um, but it, it can be, it's, it can be dangerous and you have to be, I, I know a lot of people who have lost jobs because of, you know, late night drunken tweets that were not very well thought out, <laughs> let me say, but, um, there's a lot of positives too, but you just have to be really, really careful. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be, uh, it, it's, you know, I, I, I happen to love it, but I know the cesspool that it can become. Uh, I was recently hacked. I've said this. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I was recently hacked. And whoever hacked me did this nasty tweet about the right wing conspiracies and the politics. And I, I just I stay so far away from that mm -hmm. stuff. And but I've, I've lost about 800 followers just because I've tweeted wear a mask. Hmm. Like, wear you know, a mask. That, yeah, that's 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 the crazy part. It's called a socialist, especially in today's world that we're, you know, there's, it, it's so divisive, whether you're left or whether you're right or whether you're somewhere in the middle. Crazy. And I never knew that about anybody. I, I didn't either. And I, I don't really engage in that part because I think that people who believe one way, whether it's left or right, are not going to convince the people that believe the other way right now in today's, today's world. And I'm only hopeful that everybody can kind of come back toward the middle and do what's right for our country and what's good for your family and my family. And figure out ways to work together because we're stronger together than we are apart. So Tom, how can people find you online? 
Uh, they can find me online, tblee33 at verizon.net is an email if they want to reach oh, me there. Oh my goodness, he's giving out his email address. I'm going to give him out my email. That's, wow. how, that's how they can find me. And then from that point on, at some point, we'll have information on our on our upcoming okay. project. All right, but there you go. I, I'm, well, I'm fine with that. I, 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 I would love to talk with people. Uh, that would be great. That, that is the great Tom Lee. And uh, as we say after every episode, uh, if there was anything that you heard that you had an issue with, uh, do me a favor, reach out to Tom directly and leave me the hell out of it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. How great a guy is this? This is Tom Lee right here. Uh, we'll see you next week. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving, everyone. We'll have another episode next week. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go. To stay, I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. You can't take me for granted and smile. Come on, please, I'm gone. Forget to reach my phone because I promise I'll be gone for a while. When you see me again, I hope that you have been the kind of person. That you really are now Got to get in straight How could I ever be late When you're my woman Taking up my time